Shalom. Welcome to the Crimson Thread. I'm John Behrens, pastor of Restoration Messianic Fellowship in the Boulder, Longmont area of northern Colorado. This teaching was recorded in a live Midrashic setting. We've edited it for clarity, but you may notice some jumps where we've taken out inaudible comments and sidetracks. Enjoy the study. All right, we are still in Galatians. And last week, we got through chapter 4, verse 20. What we sort of finished talking about there is Paul is talking about the people who are coming into Galatia and trying to basically put oral Torah on them. And he's upset with them. And basically his thing is that the reason that they're doing that is so that they can have power over the Galatian church, over the Gentiles. And, and as we get in today, if I don't say it again, remind you that Galatians are Gentiles. They are not Hebrews that they know of, or that Paul knows of, or anybody knows of. Uh, and that will be important tonight when we, when we get on down. But anyway, the, the point that Paul was making last time is that these are people very much like the shepherds in Genesis and the shepherds in Exodus when Jacob was going to get his wife. He found in the wilderness a well with shepherds and three flocks around it. And the shepherds had corked up the well so that they could control watering the sheep. And Moses found the same thing. And what Paul is essentially saying here is these guys are coming to you and they are professing superior religious knowledge. And what they are trying to do is basically bring you into their camp so that their flock increases. Just as the shepherds in the wilderness, they will certainly water the flock, but they want to control the flow of water and they want to control the flock through the water. So Paul is basically questioning the motives of these people who are, are coming behind him. So that brings us now to chapter 421. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically, These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So let's back up and go through that. First off, let's talk about this phrase, under the law. Again, that is a rabbinism. One of the things that the rabbis talk about today is basically what you do is when you say the Shema, you take on the yoke of the Torah or the yoke of heaven is another way they describe it. So this idea of having a burden or being under a yoke is very much current in rabbinic Judaism and would have been current back then. Now, swing back to Matthew, and I'm in Matthew chapter 11, 
and I'll pick it up at verse 25. So Matthew 11:25. At that time, Yeshua declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal it. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What I'm telling you is, this is not conversationally in direct response to anything the rabbis are doing. In other words, this isn't one of the places where he's duking it out with the rabbis over something. This is, if you will, sort of free-floating. But again, the context in rabbinic Judaism is that the Torah is a yoke. And so to have a burden or to be under the yoke of heaven or any of those terms are all rabbinic terms. And what Yeshua is saying is, Yes, there is a yoke, but the proper yoke, which is to say the yoke that Yeshua gives you, which I will assert is the Torah as written and given to Moses, is not in fact burdensome, heavy, onerous, or difficult. And in fact, it is the emendations to the Torah that the rabbis have made, which we call the oral Torah, that is heavy and burdensome and onerous and difficult. And so... Back here in Galatians, when Paul says in verse 21, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? What I'm suggesting to you is he's not talking about Torah there. What he's talking about is this stuff that these people from Jerusalem are peddling that is in contradistinction to the Torah, because we'll come on down some more and you'll you'll see what I mean. All right. So now in verse 22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave owner and one by a free. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. All right, now, so what we're getting here is a distinction now between the flesh and the spirit. And he's going to carry that through later on. But this is where that argument starts. Is you've got Hagar, who was born of the flesh. And, of course, you all know the story. Uh, Sarah was barren. And Sarah had been promised a child. And she was past the age of menopause. And so what she decided to do was she said, I'll fix it. And the way she decided to fix it was to give Hagar, the Egyptian slave, to her husband Abraham. Because again, according to Torah, the children born to a slave belong to the master. So what she's doing is basically, okay, I can't do it in my body, but if my slave bears a child, that child will be mine. And what Paul is saying is that's a decision made according to the flesh. And the son of the free woman, which is Isaac, was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. We've been talking about this since we're in this part of the scripture, we've been talking about this on Shabbat. What I have been saying to you is that the Ten Commandments written on tablets of stone are not, in fact, what God intended to have happen at the foot of Mount Sinai. What God intended to have happen at the foot of Mount Sinai is to write the Torah 
as spoken by him on the hearts of his people. When his people developed hearts of stone and wouldn't allow that to happen, what God said is, okay, I'm still going to give you my word, but I'm going to give it to you written on tablets of stone to remind you that you have hearts of stone. So that covenant that is given at Sinai, even though the words are the same, is not the same as having the Torah written on your heart and having a essentially a marriage relationship between God and his people. So when it says here that Hagar represents slavery, what I am saying is the tablets of stone are what he's talking about. And that's different than what he wanted to actually do, which is speak the same words, but speak them in relationship with his bride. In other words, it's part of a marriage ceremony. So what we've got with the tablets of stone are second best. Compared to everything else in the world, still really good. But compared to what God actually wants to do, second best. And, and then what he's saying, now let's go on with this thought. Pick it up at verse 24 again. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. And again, now take it back to what the actual situation is in Jerusalem with the Pharisees, who are the ancestors of the rabbis. And what we have in the gospel is Yeshua cracking heads with them over and over and over again, because what they've done is they have taken the law of Moses, which is supposed to be liberating, and they've added all this stuff on top of it and have turned it into something onerous and burdensome. And what they have done is they have enslaved Judaism. So what you have now is Jerusalem, which is rabbinism, Pharisaic rabbinism, if you will. They had Sadducees and everybody else too, but I'm mostly talking in terms of the Pharisees right now. What he's saying is, instead of being the bride of God, his special delight, free, all those kinds of stuff, what they have done is they've taken these rocks that they've been schlepping around now for 1,500 years, and they have turned themselves into slaves. In other words, they've turned this covenant into an anchor around their necks, or a yoke around their neck, and they've enslaved themselves. Now, we talked about that when we were in Revelation. Remember when we were talking about keys? I, just, I was just editing Revelation, so I, it's fresh in my mind. Remember the passage where Yeshua is arguing with lawyers, which are lawyers of the Torah, of the law. And he says, you guys have the key of knowledge and you've taken that key and you have locked up the knowledge. You prevent other people from going in and you don't even go in yourselves. So they've got the knowledge, but they don't use it. And this takes us back to our shepherds and the water and all those kinds of things. They have essentially become what I would call the equivalent of the Roman Catholic Church or any other hierarchical church where you have a priesthood or a rabbinate that controls everything and controls all of life by the ability to make decisions on halacha and to parcel out, if you will, access to God at their own whim. And again, the idea is not to have the sheep die of thirst. You want the sheep to live, but you want to make sure that they come to you for their water and you want to make sure that you control what they, what and when they drink. And that's what's happening with rabbinic Judaism Roman Catholicism, Lutheranism, you know, all these isms, if you will. And what he's saying is, this is a covenant of slavery. Humanity invariably tends to slavery. The problem we've got is that we are not living under the new covenant, and it's just a question of how long your leash is 
and how long it takes you to descend into slavery. All right, let's do some grammar. I'm going to slip into Greek mode here. So let's start in Galatians 4.25. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. And then down in verse 28. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Notice, it, notice this emphasis on who, who's your daddy. All right, so now let's go over to Hebrews 2.10. For it is fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children that God has given me. So what he's saying is those people who are in relationship to Messiah are children of of God. Children of God. All right? And what Paul is saying is, you are not children of the bondwoman anymore. You are children of God. Now, in both cases, we are still children. It says in Hebrew that, Hebrews that at some point everything's going to be put under his feet, but now we don't see everything under his feet. And it also says at some point we are going to get an inheritance, and that's Ephesians 1. Let's go there. Ephesians 1.11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Messiah might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So this whole point, Galatians Hebrews, Ephesians are talking about who's your daddy? Who's your mommy? Who are you a child of? And what he's saying is those who are in Messiah have become children of God. They have the right to become children of God and they have become children of God. They are brothers to Messiah. And as children of God, you have an inheritance. But what it says over and over and over again is you don't have it yet. It's like, all right, I'm looking at my aunt who's... 80, almost 90 years old. She has promised me an inheritance. I'm in no hurry to have her die. Quite happy with my aunt. I love her. But I do not have possession of the inheritance. And I will not have possession of the inheritance until she dies. And it's the same thing here. We do not have possession of the inheritance, and we will not get possession of inheritance until the New Jerusalem. And then we come into our inheritance. But we have the promise of it. By the way, who's the barren one? Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who, do not, who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate will be more than those of the one who is a, has a husband. Who's that? I think it may be the Gentiles. In other words, the, the Gentiles are, in this sense, barren. But now, through Messiah, they have been able to come into the covenants of promise. Because remember, this, this whole thing is talking to Gentiles. Remember I said before, keep in mind that we're talking about Gentiles here in Galatia. As far as I know, these are not crypto-Hebrews of any shape. They, they may be, but as far as I know, not. 
The barren one, I believe, is the Gentiles. The one with a husband is Israel, because she has a husband. And the Gentiles will bear more children than the woman with a husband. Now, notice it doesn't say that the woman with a husband is barren. It simply says that the, the one who was barren will have more. It doesn't say that the one with a husband has none. The important thing to take away from the end of chapter 4 is there's a difference between parenthood, parentage, and covenant. And what he's talking about is parentage. So now let's let's do chapter 5. For freedom, Messiah has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Messiah will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await the hope of righteousness. For in Messiah Yeshua, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. All right, so now what's he talking about? Well, I just went through this whole riff of not everybody who is going to make it past the lake of fire is Israel. Who is required to be circumcised? Sons of Abraham. Because remember, Ishmael is circumcised. Arabs circumcise their children. Is Paul saying here that circumcision as commanded by God is no longer required? No. No. I don't believe that in any place, in anywhere, in any of his writings, and Paul says it, by the way, at no point in my entire career have I violated the customs or the laws of our people. That's Paul's testimony toward the end of his life. He is not speaking against biblical circumcision. What's he speaking against? What he's speaking against here is two things. Again, and, and this is modern rabbinic Judaism does this. You can go to any synagogue, and my parents had me circumcised as an infant. But if I were to decide that I wanted to join a synagogue, I would have to be re-circumcised. What they would do is they would, you know, make a nick and draw blood. It's called the blood of the covenant. And my circumcision, which was done at the hands of some doctor in South Dakota doesn't count. Now, one of the things that is going on in this whole region of the world is there are lots and lots of men who are circumcised. Arabs circumcise their children. In other words, all of the descendants of Abraham circumcise their children, and they do to this day. And what the guys from Jerusalem are saying is, doesn't count unless we do it. Doesn't count unless we do it. There's nothing in the Torah that says that. Furthermore, you will also have people who are not circumcised at all. And what these people are saying, a la the Council of Jerusalem, is, remember you had a faction at the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, who said, we tell the Gentiles that unless they are circumcised, they cannot be saved. That was their doctrinal position. The Council of Jerusalem said, no, that's not correct. So what Paul is saying is, regardless of whether you are circumcised or not, 
If you are uncircumcised, you do not need to become circumcised. If you are circumcised, you do not have to be re-circumcised. In other words, circumcision has nothing to do with your salvation. And if you think that doing all of the stuff that these guys are telling you you have to do is somehow going to increase your salvation, what you've done is you have stepped out of faith and you've gone into works. As I said earlier, anybody can join Israel. And if you want to join Israel as a man, you must be circumcised. Otherwise, you can't eat the Passover. But that is not a salvation matter. That is a matter of joining up with national Israel, which you may do. It's easy to do. Ruth did it. Rahab did it. Lots of people in Scripture have done it. And there's a procedure for doing that. So those of you who don't know what you are and you want to join Israel, God bless you. Join Israel. Cool. No problem. If you don't know who you are and you have a relationship with Messiah and you don't feel compelled to join Israel, don't. You'll skate right by the lake of fire, no problem, and you'll show up in the new heaven and the new earth because of your relationship to Yeshua. And as I say, if, if you want to join Israel, God bless you. You may have joined by birth. I think many of us are, in fact, Hebrews. That's, I think, where we're here. But even if you're not a Hebrew, Israel's easy to join. And you can join Israel if you want to. That's fine. Let's go ahead and finish up the paragraph here. I'm in, back in Galatians chapter 5. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. For if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. In other words, an extreme circumcision. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. By the, from that I infer, by the way, that these people from Jerusalem have caused no small amount of dissension in Galatia. Now, one last thing about circumcision, and then we'll close. Paul had two sidekicks, Titus and Timothy. Timothy was an ethnic Hebrew. His mother was Jewish. Titus was an ethnic Gentile. Both young men, when they met Paul, were uncircumcised. Timothy's mother did not have him circumcised because he had a Gentile father. So Paul has these two strapping young men. One of them is born of a Jewish woman. The other one is born pure-blood Gentile. Paul looks at the one born of the Jew and says, we need to circumcise you, boy. And he goes to Titus and says, don't bother. Same exact circumstance and same exact relationship to Paul, except one of them is by birth a Hebrew. The other one is by birth a Gentile. Paul has the Hebrew circumcised and the Gentile he does not have circumcised. Both of those young men, in my professional opinion, are saved. Yeah, and when he says up above in verse 6, for in Messiah Yeshua, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. And what he's saying is, both Jew and Gentile 
can become children of God through Messiah, and it doesn't matter whether you are circumcised, a Hebrew, or uncircumcised, a Gentile. Now, if you are an ethnic Hebrew, there are other things that kick in. The covenants, which says you need to take a little off the top. And, and Paul is perfectly straight with Timothy. Come on, son, we've got to get this taken care of because you're not kosher. Verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Works of the flesh. Okay? That is not the Torah of God. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I will tell you that every one of those things is either expressly or implicitly forbidden in the Torah. So he is not talking here about the law of God because none of those things are permitted or encouraged under the Torah. They are, however permitted and encouraged in paganism. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, period. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And again, what Sunday church will do with that is say, oh, that's the law of Christ and that supersedes the Torah of God. And the, the two lists that he is contrasting, the first list is not Torah. So he can't be contrasting Christ and Torah. And those who belong to Christ, Messiah Yeshua, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Okay, I'm going to stop there and I, and I want to make one observation I was as you know I listen to Christian radio when I'm driving around in my pick up truck actually I was in Kay's car this morning uh, since my truck has got a limping paw and I was listening to Adrian Rogers who besides being dead is a good Baptist and I love Adrian Rogers I think he's a great preacher I, I, I enjoy listening to him a lot and he was talking about he wasn't talking in, in the context of this particular text but he was saying, how do you know you're saved? Well, you know that you're saved because you follow God's commandments. And he says basically what I said. Following God's commandments doesn't get you saved, but if you don't follow God's commandments, you're not saved. And I don't care what prayer you said. In other words, you can waltz down every aisle in Christendom and say the sinner's prayer all you want, but if you don't change and if you don't start following God's laws, you're not saved, Bubba. And it doesn't matter what you think or what some itinerant preacher told you. And what I am suggesting to you is that the law that you are to follow is written down by Moses. As explained, expanded, and elucidated by the Messiah himself. And there's no conflict between the two. So if you want to know how to behave, go back and study Moses. Would somebody like closing prayer?
Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this study and would like to hear more, go to www.crimsonthread.com. There you'll find this study in its entirety, as well as other resources for studying the scriptures from a messianic perspective. Thank you and shalom.